0: Well, I really love uh, reading about American history, our founding fathers, and some of our past presidents, and recently I read a book called Mornings on Horseback, uh, written by David McCullough, one of my favorite authors, and he outlines the young life of President Theodore Roosevelt right up to the time where he becomes president, and something interesting about Teddy Roosevelt that you may not know is that he suffered from some pretty intense panic attacks. And, and as they go through, as, as the historians have gone through and looked at Teddy Roosevelt's life, a large majority of those panic attacks would happen on Saturday night. And his parents were bewildered. They couldn't figure out why he always had panic attacks on Saturday night. And so they begin asking Teddy, well, what's wrong? Why do you get such anxiety on Saturday night? And he told them, well, it's because I'm scared to go to church on Sunday morning." They're like scared to go to church. Why are you scared to go to church on Sunday morning? And he told his parents, he goes, I'm scared of something that I've heard the preacher talk about called the zeal. And his parents are like, the zeal? What do you mean? What is the zeal? And he says, well, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's got four legs. uh, It looks like a dragon and wants to eat me. I've heard the preacher talk about it before. So his parents get out their Bible and they start looking through all of scripture, looking for every verse that says the word zeal. And when they read John chapter 2, verse 17, Teddy gets all excited because this is the verse he was thinking of. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Teddy Roosevelt was terrified that the zeal of the Lord was going to eat him if he ever stepped into the building of the church. I bet, I would wager that there's many of us who have read or seen things in scripture that we've misunderstood that we've misunderstood the words, or maybe somebody has taught us something that they have intentionally misused, and it's left us saying, what's the point? What's the point of Scripture if it's going to be difficult to understand? What's the point of, of Scripture if it was written 2,000 years ago, and it's this collection of documents, and there's so much controversy con- concerning it? What's the point of looking at Scripture? What's the point of all of this Bible stuff that people talk about? If it's just going to be misunderstood and misread and misused like it was for Teddy Roosevelt. Maybe you're in that boat and you're asking yourself, what's the point of scripture? And I'd like to try today to the very best of my ability to answer that question, but we need to answer that question by looking at what scripture has to say for itself. Look, I want to keep this really simple, so we're going to stay in one psalm, Psalm 119, and there are tons and tons of scriptures that we could go to to talk about the point of scripture, but to keep it simple on ourselves, we're going to stay in one psalm, Psalm 119, and what this psalm does is it spends 176 verses, it's almost two and a half pages in your Bible, 176 verses talking about the beauty, power, and goodness of scripture, When we read Psalm 119, we are looking at scripture, talking about scripture. So we're going to just camp out in Psalm 119 today. And I think as we kind of move through different portions of this psalm, we're going to see one overwhelming uh, uh, big idea that we need to keep in mind as we look at the point of scripture. See, I think as we look today, we're going to see that scripture is God-breathed and you are God-made. Scripture is God-breathed and you, humanity, is God-made. In other words, it's almost like the words of God were meant for the creation of God, that there's something incredible in this creation of God and these words of God come together in this union. And and as if the language was written for us, you are God made and scripture is God breathed. Because when we look at the Bible, when we look at scripture, it tells us about God. It tells us about ourselves, about the creation story. And it tells us about Jesus and how he's redeemed us. It tells us the story of man and the story of God. Scripture is the language by which we communicate with and hear from God himself. You are God made and scripture is God breathed. Look how Psalm 119 verse 73 puts it. He says, you made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow you, your commands. God breathed, God made. We were meant for each other. There's something that happens when God's words come together with God's creation. But why? Why is that important? And what is it exactly that happens? Well, it lays out our story and it lays out God's story. You see, scripture explains to us the way we are. Some of us aren't very self-aware. In fact, we walk around oblivious to the world and we have no idea about ourselves. But scripture is very self-aware. Scripture tells us who we are. I moved to Mansfield from Quincy uh, about a year ago. I think a year ago yesterday. And when we moved from our little tiny apartment in Quincy, we were able to, to get a little bit bigger apartment in Mansfield. And so we spent a lot of time at Ikea. Now, I don't know your opinions on Ikea and if you like Ikea or not. The main reason I go to IKEA is because I love those $1 hot dogs at the end of the shopping uh, trip. I'm always like, trying to boost my wife through the store. Like, come on, we've got to get to those hot dogs because I'm going to eat like six of them and I'm going to be happy as a pig the rest of the day because they're only a dollar. It's like eating for free almost. So that's why I really like IKEA. But the other reason I like IKEA is because their furniture, it, you know, it's, it's a nice enough product. Their furniture gives you instructions on how to build it. And I am able to put together the furniture based on the instructions that Ikea provides. And if you know anything about me, you know that's saying a lot because I can't build anything to save my life. But when I have those Ikea instructions, I can put together a chair. I can put together a dresser or a bed. But I would never ever be able to build furniture to put together a chair or a dresser or a bed if it weren't for the instructions that come with each product. See, when you're building that Ikea furniture, there is a right and a wrong way to do it. And the reason those instructions work is because they were put together by the creator of the finished product. That finished product that you see on the showroom floor had a creator, and that creator knows how each piece and each part goes together to create the finished product. And I think scripture works the same way with us. God made... God breathed, and when God is speaking to us through scripture, it's almost like his instruction manual, where he's got the finished product in mind, the product that's supposed to go on the showroom. He's got that in mind as he gives us his instructions, his story, his words, and his commands on how to live. God envisions the final product, and, and scripture is his way of helping us get there. And the Ikea instructions would not be helpful if they were inaccurate. The IKEA instructions would not be helpful if they didn't know what was in the box. See, the IKEA instructions give accurate information about the product. And when we look at scripture, scripture gives gives us accurate information about ourselves. See, we could put it like this. Scripture gives us an honest review. gives us an honest review of who we are. Look at how the psalmist writes it in Psalm 119, verse 29. He says, keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions Well, whatever's happened in the writer's life. He's come to the point in life where he realized I can't trust myself. I make really bad decisions. Myself cannot be trusted. Can you relate to that feeling? Can you relate to that feeling of not being able to trust yourself to make a good decision? Maybe you feel like your life is just one series of one bad decision after another, where you end up in the same place where you swore you'd never be before. I mean, have you ever just looked around at your life and you're like, how did I get here again? Why am I here? What decision do I keep making to put me in this same space? Why am I at the bar again? Or why am I in his or her bed again? Why am I broke again? Why am I staring into the fridge again late at night? Why am I sitting on the couch doing nothing? How is it that I keep finding myself in this position? Why do I keep doing these things? Why do I keep making these decisions that don't bring about life? I've said it before, but I think it's because we're raised in a you-do-you, find-your-truth-whatever-makes-you-happy kind of culture. It's ingrained in our psyches from such a young age that you have to find your truth. Look deep down inside of you, and whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. If you want the vacation home, get the vacation home. If you want to have multiple relationships, then go for it. If you want all the money or the career or the reputation, if you want to do all those things, then do it. Find your truth. Do what makes you happy. But are we? Is it working? Are you very happy? Is our culture, society as a whole, very happy? Look, I don't think you have to look very far to realize we're not happy. There's all kinds of crap in our world right now and crap in our lives that we don't want to deal with. And and we've put ourselves in some of those positions. Look, we have more stuff and more wealth than ever before. But we are more depressed and dissatisfied than ever do you know 50 compared to 50 years ago, Americans today have three times as much space, three times as much space as we did 50 years ago. And, and you'd think with all this extra space, we'd have plenty of room in our houses to keep our belongings, right? I mean, that makes logical sense. Nope. The storage industry is a $2.2 billion industry, and with the extra space that we now have compared to 50 years ago, we've simply become better shoppers, and as we've become better shoppers, we have more debt, more stress, and more dissatisfaction. In fact, studies have shown that in the last 50 years, our happiness has flatlined. We're not a a happy people. Maybe you're like me, and when you want to buy something, you do what I call the self-justification dance. Self justification dance goes something like this. You're sitting in your living room and you're looking at your perfectly working, crystal clear HD TV. And you think to yourself, I need a bigger TV. This one's not big enough. And so then you start going down this rabbit trail in your mind and you say, Yeah, I need a bigger TV because if I had a bigger TV, well, then when I have friends over and guests over to watch the game or or the movie, well, they're going to be more entertained and I'm going to be more hospitable in the process. Uh, and, and you know, I work a hard job. I work long hours. So at the end of the day, I just need to be able to come home and relax. Even though I've got a perfectly good working 50 inch HDTV, I think I need to spend the extra $500 to get a perfectly good working 65 inch HDTV. Cause I deserve it. And I need to make my guests happy. See, it's a self-justification dance. Or how about this? Life's been crazy, right? I know you work so hard. Life's so hard for you, your job is crazy, the kids are crazy, and you deserve to come home after a long week and just take all of Friday and binge watch Netflix for the next eight hours. You deserve it. That's what's gonna make you happy. Look, we say that as a culture, but when has binging anything ever been healthy? You know what, today I think I'm gonna go binge smoke some cigarettes. I think I'm gonna go binge eat, because all those things are always healthy, right? That's what we say. No, binging has never been a healthy practice. But now we're to the point in our lives where we're like, I just need a day where I can binge watch Ozark for the next eight hours. That's what I'm going to do today. That's what I need because that's what's going to give me uh, life. That's what's going to make me happy. We are experts at deceiving ourselves. We are experts of not being able to trust ourselves. And as a result, we have adopted so much unhealthy behavior all in the name of being happy. And it's so much more than spending money or or binging Netflix. I mean, sexual abuse is rampant in our culture because people gotta have what they want and they don't care what happens to the other person. That's what they need to satisfy their thirst to make them happy. Or alcoholism or substance abuse. You don't understand my life. I have to have these things to be whole. I have to have these things to live and to be happy. You just don't understand. I need them to be happy. Or violence and oppression and injustice. Oh, we don't care about the other person. We just wanna be happy. We want our authority. We don't want things to change in our lives. So we oppress and we, and we practice violence on other people. We've forgotten how to be selfless. We've forgotten how to love because we think our poop doesn't stink because we're the best person on planet earth. And we need to do what we need to do to be happy. We can't be trusted. We can't trust ourselves. So the writer of scripture says he's found something that he can trust. Look how Psalm 119 verse 140 puts it. He says, your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. I can't trust myself, but your words, your scripture, your story, your commands, God, it's been tested and it's been proved as good. And I can trust it. But admitting something like that, admitting that something is wider, wiser and smarter and better than you takes humility. And that's a process to get to. And until we get out of our own way, We'll never be able to let scripture do its work on us until we decide that we can't trust ourselves and we need a higher authority. But the good news is it doesn't leave us here. See, it gives us an honest review, but it also gives us a higher worldview. Scripture gives us a higher worldview. Constructive criticism would not be helpful if I only told you what was wrong with you, but didn't tell you what you're doing good or, or what you can do to be better at what was wrong. Scripture gives us good constructive criticism. Here's what's wrong, but here's how to fix it. Here's how to be better. Notice what he says, verse 35 of Psalm 119. He says, make me a walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. You hear it? You notice what the writer says? He says, happiness is found in following scripture and living according to this book. Now, wait a second, Trey. The TV and my favorite celebrity and and everything I see tells me to to find my happiness in something else. It tells me to find my happiness in in all these other things in life. How can I trust that what Scripture is saying is true? Well, it goes back to what we just talked about. He's learned that he can't trust himself because he always ends up in those positions and in those circumstances that he never wanted to end up in the first place. But as he's looked at Scripture and as he's read into the story and the commands of God, he's realized he's found something worth listening to and he says to the point that the laws of God the commands of God the story of God is a better thing to trust in than money trusting in scripture is a better thing to live by than worthless things political ideologies reputation career uh, having the the status that you want scripture is better and more uh, more accountable than any of those other things in life and this is something we need to hear because we try so hard to make it in life by trusting in things that can never save us, that can never give us life. Those things will always come up empty, and we search and we search and we search, looking for the next thing that can maybe make us happy and give us life, but those aren't the things to live by. Whenever I go to Barnes and Noble, I'm always surprised at the vast selection of the four dummies Series, You know what the four dummies are? Like math for dummies. Like I needed that one in high school. Or or how to look good for dummies. I still need that one today. Like they've got all these different topics of four dummies. And they boast over 2,500 different topics that they've written on. And they've sold over 200 million copies worldwide. I was doing some research and I came across their own description on their website this week. And I found it one of the most ironic and hilarious things uh, ever. Here's what it says. It says dummies have always stood for taking on complex concepts and making them easy to understand. Dummies help everyone be more knowledgeable and confident in applying what they know. Whether it's to pass that big test, qualify for that big promotion, or even master that cooking technique, people who rely on dummies rely on them to learn the critical skills and relevant information necessary for success. Do you hear the irony in that we rely on dummies to get the necessary information? I and mean, why do you think this series, this series that essentially makes fun of its readers and its audience, when I call somebody a dummy, it's, it's usually John Muth and it's not always a compliment. When they're calling us dummies, why do you think something is so popular that actually insults us? Is it because we're all dummies? Maybe. Or maybe it's because they know we're all searching. And they know we're all wondering how to survive life and how to do this and how to do that. Maybe you've been searching your whole life and you don't know where else to go. You've tried everything. So you Google and you YouTube and you drink and you lie yourself through life just to survive. And you try doing all these things to find life, to find fulfillment, to find purpose, but nothing is working. In fact, maybe that's why you're here because you've already tried everything else. And so you thought, might as well give God a try. Might as well see if this Bible thing is worth anything. Probably a lot of us are looking for a book called life for dummies, because we just need to figure out how to survive and get through life. And I believe that the Bible is that better way. I believe that the Bible gives us the higher worldview by which to live. It's the language of God. God breathed, written for the creation of God, God made. These two coming together and it instructs us and tells us how to live. It speaks to every facet of life. It tells you how to live wise and how to be generous. It tells you how to love and how to serve and how to repent and how to fight for justice. It tells you how to do all these things. The Bible speaks to every area of life. And when you build your worldview around scripture, your life begins to change you become more wise, you become more patient, you become more generous, you begin to understand what it means to live like Jesus. And you will find, as this writer says, you will find life through his word. But understand life and fulfillment and purpose, that doesn't just come from doing good things. Like if you just read the Bible and do good things, that's not enough. You need to understand that these good things come from a stronger foundation, These precepts, these commands, these instructions come from the stronger foundation. See, it gives us an honest review, a higher worldview. But most importantly, scripture keeps Jesus in view. And this is what we're about. We we unashamedly say we want to help people find and follow Jesus. And scripture is the only way we know how to help people find and follow Jesus. Because scripture always points people to Jesus. Scripture will reveal our sin. It will give us that honest review. But it will tell us how to live as well. How to live wisely. But most importantly, it tells us why. It tells us why we strive for that higher worldview. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because of what the foundation is that this is built upon. This psalm that we're looking at was written hundreds of years before Jesus. And look at the very last verse, Psalm 119, 176. It says, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, we're we're the lost sheep and Jesus is the one who has come after us. Jesus is the one who has come to find us. And he says, notice, because I know your words, I know that you will come and find me. I know your promises. I know your story. I know what you've done. I know what you will do. And I know that you will come and find me no matter how far I've strayed, no matter how far I've wandered, no matter how lost I am. Because I know your word, I know that you are coming for me because Jesus is the good shepherd that comes after his sheep. And that's the story of Jesus that no matter how far you've wandered, no matter what bad things you've done, no matter how honest that review was, Jesus loved you enough to come for you. He left the 99 and he came and found his beloved sheep. Listen, Scripture brings together that which God made, you and me. And it brings together that which God spoke, the Bible, to fully understand that which God gave his Son. Scripture brings together that which God made, you and me, that which uh, God breathed, the Bible, to fully understand that which God gave, his son. Scripture overwhelmingly points to Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And that's why we read it. And if you don't believe me, listen to what one of Jesus' best friends said about him in John chapter 20, verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Why were these things written? Why were these words written? Why was this story recorded? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you may have life by the power of the Son of God. What's the point of scripture, you ask? The point of scripture is to point to Jesus. It's to give us a reliable and trustworthy authority that helps us live a higher worldview, that tells us who we really are and points us to Jesus who has saved us. Yes, it tells us how to live, but it's so much more than just good commands and good precepts. It tells the story of redemption. It tells the story of how God loved you so much that he came for you and his son, Jesus, and he gave up his life so that you could live. And when you realize that, man, you can't help but want to live with a higher worldview so that the world can see Jesus. So all that being said, it leaves us with two points of application. Number one, I would tell you, as you look at the Bible, let scripture read you. Let scripture read you. In other words, let it give you an honest review. Don't shy away from the things that make you uncomfortable. Let it tell you where you fall short. Let it expose the things in your heart and in your soul and in your minds that make you uncomfortable. Let it read you. Let it know you. Scott Sauls recently tweeted, uh, he said, if my reading of scripture forces me to scrutinize others more than it does myself, then I'm reading scripture incorrectly see when we read scripture it's not about scrutinizing others it's about scrutinizing and being critical of ourselves it's almost like looking in a mirror as scripture says you look in a mirror and it shows all the flaws and imperfections and it exposes everything about you or you're laying in a medical bed and you've got a medical chart at the end of your bed and you pick up that medical chart and you see everything that's wrong with you let scripture read you let it expose the things in your heart that you're scared of but don't quit reading See, as scripture reads, you also read scripture to change you. Last week, we said that God loves you exactly as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Scripture is the way in which God changes you. This is God's story. These are God's words spoken to God's creation, and it will give insight and wisdom on how to live. See, once you've read and let it have that honest review, keep reading, because it's going to point you to Jesus, and it's going to point you to how to be like Scripture tells us that it is alive and active. The words in this book are powerful. The words in this book hold the secret to eternal life. The words in this book point everyone to Jesus. And these words, this man who this, this story is preserved about points you to Jesus. That's who this is about. It's about Jesus. It's about knowing what he's done for you. And when you know what he's done for you, you can't help but be different. So I encourage you, let scripture read you but also read scripture to change you and let it have power and authority in your life. Scripture is God breathed and you are God made. Let me pray for us. Heavenly father, thank you so much for not just leaving us without any wisdom, without any way to live. God, you have through divine interaction, you have preserved your word for us. And you have told us how to live, but more importantly than telling us how to live, God, you have pointed us to Jesus. You have showed us that that Jesus gave up heaven to come to earth, that Jesus gave up his life so that we may live. And Father, when we realize that, when we believe that, when we know that, God, that should change how we live. That gives us the higher worldview. And so God, as many of us may be approaching the Bible for the first time, I pray that we would all have the humility and the openness to let scripture give us an honest review so that we can pursue being more like Jesus. We can pursue knowing him more. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for preserving your story for us in your word. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.